Welcome to the Bicom podcast. I'm Giacomo Giacomon, Research Associate at Bicom, and joining me for a discussion of the dominant domestic Israeli political issue of the day, judicial reform, is Professor Amichai Cohen. Professor Cohen is a senior fellow at the Israel Democracy Institute and a faculty member at the Faculty of Law at Ono Academic College. He graduated from the Faculty of Law at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem and holds a master's degree and a doctorate from the Yale Law School. His research deals with constitutional and international law, and he's the author of the book, The Wars of the High Court. Professor Cohen, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, we hear from the reformers repeated references to comparative examples of other democracies. Canada and New Zealand are often cited. Their point being that in no comparable democracy does, does an unelected judiciary enjoy such power to override the decisions of elected politicians. You have written that Israeli democracy is universally unique and therefore that such comparisons and moves to, to implement similar systems can only take us so far. I know this is one of the questions discussed in, in your book. Can you expand on, on this for us? Yes. So as I said earlier, and I'll reiterate just for a second, um, political power in Israel is extremely concentrated. So Israel has no two houses of parliament. There is no federalism in Israel in any way. The local governments are very weak and there is not no such thing as states like in the United States or uh, even not the devolution, right? Uh, Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland in, in, uh, in the United Kingdom. Every, every pol all political power, I'm sorry, is concentrated within the Knesset and the government. Um, there is no external institution. So Israel is not a member of the EU, nor it is a member of uh, organizations like the European Court of Human Rights. So no external review. Members of Knesset are extremely unindependent. So we the system is not uh, a regional system of voting, like in the United Kingdom, where the uh, member of parliament has some independent legitimacy because he was elected in a specific place. So he responds to his own constituents. No, in Israel, everything is by, uh, a you are a member of a list which is highly controlled by the head of the list. The result is that Israeli democracy is unique in the sense that political power is concentrated in the hands of a very few people, the heads of the coalition party. So right now in Israel, five, maybe six persons, by the way, all of them men, control the entire political power in Israel. What they decide is uh, there is no other institution that can in any way contradict the decisions from a political point of view. Uh, was this a historical accident or was this a design is a questionable, a questionable uh, issue. I think it was by design. There are reasons for it in the history of Israel and in the fact, in the fact that Israel was actually a unique creation 
in the history of humankind where people came back to their country from different areas, but this is not the main question. The positive situation is that political power is extremely concentrated. And the only limitation on political power in Israel is the legal limitation put on both by the uh, Supreme Court and by the uh, professional legal advisors within the government and uh, um, they work together. This is the only limit on government on Israel. Now, limitations on government are an extremely important part of democracy. So democracy is built both on the idea of elections, of course, and majority rule, and on some kinds of checks and balances, some kind of limit on the power, on the political power. And in Israel, uh, I believe that weakening the um, existing limitations on political power, power will actually put uh, Israel in a unique position uh, among democracies around the world where the power, all the power is concentrated in the hands of very few people. Granted, these people are uh, elected, but even if they are elected, uh, democratic governments require limitations even on the power of the elected institutions. I'd like to explore that just, just a little bit further because we, we, we do hear both sides in this in this debate claiming a defense of of democracy and from the from the reformers what we tend to hear is a conception of democracy which which seems really to be confined to the will of the will of the majority um can you explore a little bit the kind of li the limitations of this of that rather narrow conception of of a democratic culture so the problem of uh uh, the idea of majority rule are there are two problems with majority rule. First of all, uh, we have representative governments uh, almost universally, right? Our governments are not actually majority rules like they used to be in ancient Rome or Greece, where actually the entire populace goes out and votes, right? Um, so we have representatives who vote for us and because we have representatives, by definition, we have what's called in economics, a principal agent problem. So do the representatives actually reflect the will of the actual majority? It's always a problem in, in democracy. And the reason is that there are uh, um, other uh, things that uh, affect the way representatives act, like interest groups, like their need to be re-elected, like their need uh, uh, to gain uh, uh, money for the re-election, uh, like their own personal interests, like the fact, the simple fact that actually in most issues that are discussed in public discussions, there is no clear majority. And so our representatives have to make adjustments and, and compromise on our interest. So, so the idea of majority rule by itself 
is a limited idea in representative government. And the second problem with majority rule is that majority rule in a democracy is limited by the fact that the power of the majority to take away the rights of the minority is limited. So we elect, we go to, to, to the elections, we elect a majority, but the majority cannot do everything. There are limitations on its power, and these limitations specifically concern the rights of discrete and insular minorities. Those minorities that do not really participate in government. So in Israel, for example, and I'm speaking here specifically about the Israeli example. So the there is a large Arab minority, which has representation in the Knesset, but is usually almost always um, is not part of the ruling coalition. There was an exception with the last government for one year. And actually this is one of the main reasons that brought the downfall of the, of the previous government that it cooperated with, with an Arab party. Arabs are usually not part of majority government. And this means that their rights are, are sometimes not taken into account by the majority and there is some protection that democracy provides for protecting their essential rights, either their human rights, civil rights. So once again, majority rule is an extremely important part of democracy. It's actually the only way we know, or as Churchill said, it's, uh, it's the worst way except for all other ways we have experienced. So that's the way we rule, but my, but we, if we decide on majority rule, we have to understand the limitations and the problems with majority rule and accept that the majority cannot do everything and that there should be some limitations on its power. Thank you. The, re the reformers often refer to the court as activist and, and inappropriately in their view, and they they point to the, the, the tenure of, of um, former Chief Justice uh, Barak as, as kind of the origins of that. You've written and said that, that on the contrary, the early 90s, those years, were not years of judicial revolution, but evolution. That in fact, now is the time of real revolution. Perhaps you could give us some, some of the context uh, Yes, there. So so in order to understand this claim, I have to, just for a second, speak about the political history of Israel. So when Israel was formed, became independent in 1948, for 30 years, it was controlled by uh, a part, the antecedent of the, of the current Labour Party, which always formed the government. It were, was always coalition governments, but they, they were the main party. In the, in the government and the prime minister always and the important members of, of, of the government came from this party. This was for until 1977. When they were in power, uh, they did not use the parliament in order to, uh, to control, but they actually, in, instead they used the bureaucracy. And the reason is simple, in parliament, 
they always had to compromise with other members of their coalition. Uh, in the civil service, they completely controlled the civil service. And so important decisions could go through the civil service. The result for judicial review was that um, actually the important part of judicial review then was not judicial review of legislation, it was judicial review of administrative actions because all important decisions were made in within the administration uh, because the Mapai party had complete control over the administration. And the court indeed reviewed decision, uh, decisions of the administration at the time. The court did not review legislation at the time. It did not consider that it had the authority, but actually it was not so important because important decisions went through the bureaucracy, the administration. Now in 1977, uh, this all changed and the Likud a party, the opposition party came to power. And since then, actually, the Likud was in power much more than, than any other party. Um, and because the Likud took power and because they had, they did not have control over the bureaucracy, which was the old guard, right? The, the old bureaucracy. So they began using legislation more and more. And then step by step, judicial review evolved with the government. So the government started using legislation more and more. And then we start seeing uh, judicial review of legislation because the important decisions were made by the legislature. We, we also need to see it on, on the, uh, uh, the background of the universal development of liberal democracies at the time. So in the end of the 1980s, the beginning of the 1990s, of course the entire, uh, with the collapse of the Soviet bloc, okay, we are at the age where liberal democracy, judicial review is at its height. And governments in Israel accept this limitation as a legitimate limit on their power. They enact basic laws uh, which consist human rights in 1992, basic law, human dignity and liberty. The court has power and this is actually considered very much part of the evolving Israeli liberal democracy. I'll give just one another example that happens exactly at the same time. So the basic law, human dignity and liberty is enacted in 1992. In 1991, Israel joins all major international human rights treaties. So the International Covenant for Civil and Political Rights, uh, the, the Covenant against, uh, against torture. Um, so all important uh, universal human rights treaties Israel joins. It, there was uh, an evolution of uh, liberalism and rights within Israel that of course was reflected in the way that the court applied um, liberal values uh, towards government decisions. And also, as I said, not in many cases, but in some cases, judicial review of legislation. 
what's going on now is a counter-revolution. Uh, the suggestions of Minister of Justice Levine and of uh, uh, Simcha Rotman, the chairperson of the committee in the Knesset, are to completely overturn the entire revolution that took place more than, you know, a, a, a long 30 years and, you know, go back to pre-1992 era. We can't go back to a pre-1992 era simply because we're a different country and a different generation. So, so, but, but there is the, the, in, in, in one giant move that are trying to, um, I would say, dismantle the entire uh, structure of judicial review that was built here in uh, uh, over a generation and, and uh, go back to an era where there was limited judicial review, of course, with a completely different political uh, structure of Israel. Thank you. I think that might lead us on neatly to my next question, which is you've talked about the distinction between genuinely conservative proposals for reform versus populist proposals. Can you elaborate on this distinction in the Israeli case and, and why you think the current moves don't fit a truly okay, conservative so model? There were several uh, genuinely conservative uh, ministers of justice. So, say, for example, from 2004, 15 to 2019, uh, Minister of Justice Ayelet Chaket, who is uh, no longer a member of the Knesset, was the um, in power, and she was a conservative. She was a conservative in the sense that her values were different, more traditional perhaps than the values reflected by the court, which was at the time. Um, uh, a large majority of the court when she uh, came into office was, was liberal. And her position was that within the system, more conservative judges should be appointed. And step by step, she appointed five conservative, actually, judges to the Supreme Court, you know, putting in the court, as I said, a large, uh, conservative, relatively conservative, majority, but conservatives in the sense that they think that judges could, should intervene less. Like if we spoke about the, the patently unreasonable uh, ground for review earlier, so most of the judges appointed when Ayelet Chaked was Minister of Justice, of course, through the committee, but she had a lot of influence over the committee. Um, most of these judges think that review of appointment of government ministers should not be uh, taken by, by the court. And I think that it's a completely legitimate way of politics that if the court in the eyes of the politicians oversteps, then this uh, steps or decisions or actions by the political institutions should be made to uh, confront the, uh, the way the court uh, acts, maybe change, once again, the composition of, of, the, of the court. This is part of the political struggle. And of course, if the court uh, 
decides or adjudicates ca cases with political implications, this is what should be expected from conservative um, uh, uh, politicians. What we are seeing now is completely different. What we are seeing now is not a problem with a specific decision of the court or an attempt to appoint simply more conservative judges. What we are seeing now is a complete refusal to accept the fact that government should be limited by a court. This is totally different. It's not a question of, okay, we accept the limitations, but maybe the limitations should be a little, uh, a little less strict or, or, or we have different values. And so let's change a little the composition of the court. This is an attempt to change the structure of Israel from a constitutional democracy where there are limitations on the way or on the authority of the government to a, 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 a regime where once political power is achieved, then low, no limit on political power is uh, legitimate. Uh, this is called in uh, political science, uh, the, the idea that once a, a, a party or a person is elected to power, no limitation is, uh, is legitimate. This is in political science called populism. Thank you. Let's, let's look at the, the, the process and, and, and indications of where we might end up here. What have been your impressions of the discussions of the of the Constitutional Law and Justice Committee in the Knesset? What arguments has its its chair Simcha Rotman been putting forward, and, and what other ideas has the committee heard? So, um, a lot of observers, and uh, I I wasn't that in in that camp at first, but I'm slowly moving there. Uh, thought that what is going on now at the committee is a theater, an absurd theater. So very uh, uh, mo members of Knesset and uh, uh, academics and, uh, uh, you know, former uh, attorney generals, former justices, come before the committee and testify before the committee as experts and the committee hears them. Sometimes there is an argument, mostly by uh, Rotman himself. So he is the chair of the committee and he uses his authority. Actually, a, a study was published just uh, a couple of days ago that uh, Rotman himself uh, speaks more than 30% of the time in the committee. So more than 30% of the time is taken by the chairperson of the Knesset. He gives speeches, he, uh, he gets into discussions and arguments with every expert. And in fact, he has not moved an inch in his from his initial position, if, any, uh, if anything, he has moved to the right. So uh, his current position even is even a little more extreme than it, than it was 
when he started, uh, subject to some technical changes uh, in his in his uh, in in his suggestion. So there is no. Once again, the claim is, and, and I must say, I'm I'm reluctantly, slowly agreeing to the to the claim, uh, is that there is no real discussion right now. It's all intended to show as if there were discussions, but there is no uh, actual willingness by Rotman and I think Levin behind it to uh, make any compromise on the principles, at least, of the proposals. And, and today we've, we've just seen, if, if I'm right, that the, the, that committee will move to its first vote quite soon. Yes, the, the coalition, as I said earlier, uh, the political power is extremely centralized in Israel, and this is a proof for it. So Minister of Justice Levine and uh, Simcha Rotman which are both members, of course, of the coalition. And the coalition has, uh, uh, by definition, a majority within the committee. And it doesn't matter whether the opposition, you know, will uh, protest against the discussions and what will experts say. They have the uh, authority to um, simply vote. They have the majority in the committee. In fact, most of the members of the coalition do not even appear in the discussions of the committee. They are not present there simply because Rotman controls the entire time and uh, and they'll vote just, you know, as Rotman says they should and there'll be a majority vote. Let's move to the, the role of the Prime Minister for a moment. What's your, your perspective on the Attorney General's recent message to him that his involvement in judicial reform is a, is a conflict of interest given his own ongoing legal case. Is there substance behind this? Surely she would simply be fired if she attempted to act on it. Uh, firing the Attorney General at this stage, I think is not in the interest of the Prime Minister, because although the government has an authority to fire the Attorney General, but it's it'll simply uh, solidify the opposition to the uh, to to the government and and opposition to the government right now is not centered in the Knesset. It's in the streets, and it's in the economic circles, and it's in academia, and it's in the newspapers, and uh, so 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 there is opposition, but the opposition right now is outside government and firing the attorney general. I think. Will only contribute to solidifying this uh, this uh, opposition, and will strengthen it. and And I think it's not in the interest of the prime minister. Actually, the decision of the current attorney general is uh, follows on the footsteps of the previous attorney general, who already made. Of course, then there were no uh, suggestions for complete overhaul of the entire judicial branch. Uh, when the previous Attorney General Mandelblit um, said, and it's also, uh, it's actually based on on a, a previous decision of the Israeli Supreme Court um, uh, regarding the continued 
Benjamin Netanyahu's continued service as prime minister in Israel, petitions were brought against it. And the court said, well, the prime minister himself, we cannot say he cannot serve in his office. He was elected, but uh, he, he should be limited in his access to, to, um, to, to, to um, uh, judicial reform. And so the, the problem, of course, we all understand the problem and the reason that the coalition was able to unite against these uh, suggestions is that uh, one of the problems I, I, I'll say is that the prime minister himself is now under indictment in serious charges and there is a trial going on and it's it's actually um, quite uh, I think a unique experience it's not, it's not a regular experience in democracies. And uh, the question is whether the Israeli democracy will survive this very unique experience where the prime minister serves as prime minister and was elected once again to this position. And there is an ongoing trial against him. Uh, he's indicted for corruption. So, uh, uh, so, so at the same time, this goes on at the same time. And the conflicts of interests, even if he won't deal with the specific issues, are immense. You know, which, how can we think of any decision regarding the uh, uh, suggestions, the proposal for reform in the judicial branch as detached from the interest of the prime minister, even if, the people who are promoting it, Levine and Rotman, think it independently of the problems of the prime minister. But how can we um, think about these issues as, as not being in conflict and not unconnected to each other? It, it defies logic uh, uh, in, in, in my mind. Is, relatedly, is, is the question of incapacity, which we've seen discussed uh, in, in some in some corners, is that a purely, perhaps you could explain that for our listeners and, and whether or not that's a purely hypothetical? I think it's a non-starter. Uh, of course, if, if the prime minister is incapacitated, there is a procedure. Uh, what should be done? And there are those who claim that because the prime minister is, is uh, now in trial, he should be declared incapacitated. And of course, who makes the decisions? I think it's a non-starter. I, I, I don't see any um, reasonable attorney general or court saying the prime minister is incapacitated. Uh, this is not in contradiction to what I said earlier, that at, as a citizen, uh, I would say a, a worried citizen, uh, in, in Israel, I view as the, uh, uh, the situation as very problematic that the prime minister um, serves as prime minister, promotes uh, extreme changes to the judicial branch at, branch at the same time as, as being indicted uh, for, for corruptions in, in a district court. But I don't think uh, uh, this satisfied satisfies uh, the uh, requirements of, of the term incapacitated. 
in the law, which uh, uh, simply relates, I think, to medical situations more than any other. For opponents of, of reform, might Prime Minister Netanyahu's removal from, from the process actually be a rather dubious blessing when he's, he's probably the, the one person in government capable and whether minded or not, we don't know, but to moderate the reforms? Uh, I always say that if attorney generals and judges were uh, excellent politicians, they would have gone into politics. <laughs> they are not politicians. They are uh, lawyers. And uh, they should stick with their legal understanding. And politicians, uh, you know, politicians, they, they should not, uh, um, you know, decide based on political considerations. They should stick with legal considerations. We, the citizens, and our representative politicians should solve the political problems. Thank you. A final question, but a very important one, I think. With your expertise on the relationship between the judiciary and security policy, what do you think might be the implications of reform for this relationship? I, I'm thinking particularly of issues like the rules of engagement and the potential exposure of Israeli personnel to international jurisprudence. So, of course, uh, it cannot be denied that um, a lot of international criticisms against Israel relating to Israeli use of force and Israeli politics, uh, 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 policies, I'm sorry, within the territories, uh, a lot of these criticisms were uh, bl either blocked or, uh, or, or uh, very much uh, diluted um, because of the appreciation, universal appreciation of the independence of the Israeli Supreme Court and of the uh, government legal service in Israel as a limit uh, on, on, the, uh, on the ability of the government to act in security um, uh, areas and in armed conflict and with, with regards to, to, the, um, to the territories. Now, of course, it goes without saying that if the courts will be weakened significantly, and if the uh, government's uh, legal service will be weakened, and as I said earlier, I think this is the direction that the proposal goes in, then the international community will look differently at the um, uh, at, at Israeli actions. Perhaps even if Israeli actions won't change, there will be a, an issue of whether there is a sufficient uh, review power over the, the actions of, of, uh, of, uh, of the Israeli government, of the Israeli armed forces, of the Israeli police, uh, etc. This is, of course, coupled with the fact that the current government uh, includes several persons who have voiced uh, significant criticisms regarding the legal limitations put on the activities of the IDF, um, both uh, within uh, uh, in, in the territories and regarding the Gaza Strip, etc. 
so so of course it's, it, it it goes hand in hand um so there might be more international interventions we are uh, israel is now facing uh, both an investigation in the international criminal court and a pending uh, case in the international court of justice regarding its control of the territory both of these cases uh i assume will be affected by the weakening of the israeli supreme court however i don't think um decisions in Israel should be taken because of international pressure. I think that the uh, Israeli politicians, the Israeli public, uh, the Israeli institutions should make their decisions. They should be, of course, aware of what would you just raise, that there might be more international pressure, but the decision should remain within Israel regarding its future as, as a vibrant uh, democracy. Professor Cohen, thank you. Our listeners will certainly leave this podcast a great deal more informed about these questions, which are so vital for Israel's immediate and, and long-term future. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We look forward to bringing you another BICOM podcast soon. 